and welcome to the latest employment law podcast from the Stevenson Harwood employment team. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. My name is Richard Friedman and I'm an associate in the team. I have with me Parvis Ghani, an employment partner, and today we are going to be discussing employees who are absent from work due to illness and answering some tricky questions which are often raised by employers in relation to this area. Parvis, when HR professionals are asked what issue they most frequently find difficult to deal with, the answer often concerns long-term sickness absence. In particular, employers struggle with how much contact they can or should have with employees during their absence. What would your advice be to employers on this issue? Hi Richard. I'd make three key points on this issue. Firstly, out of sight should not be out of mind and the situation shouldn't be allowed to drift. Employees should be kept in the loop on developments or changes in the workplace and receive key information that is provided to employees who are in the office. Secondly, employees are often wary of appearing to be intrusive, but provided the contact is appropriate, there is nothing wrong with seeking further information in order to better understand the employee's condition and prognosis. So for example, by offering a meeting or asking for more information in writing. Now finally, clearly if an employee indicates that they do not want contact or that contact from the employer is exacerbating their condition, an employer has to be sensitive to that. But even then, a responsible employer should be keeping in touch with its employees. That may help to seek to agree the timing and form of contact with the employee so they cannot then accuse you of behaving inappropriately. One option is to have some contact through their partner or a member of the family that is supporting them. But ultimately, there will be some points where contact cannot be avoided, and as an employer, you would have every right to request this. So, for example, when talking about a return to work and support that can be provided to facilitate a return. If an employee persistently refuses to cooperate in this process, you could have grounds for a valid dismissal. Would you suggest getting a report from the employee's GP or sending them to see an occupational health specialist to obtain further information about an employee's condition? Yes, both of these can be good options to be used in conjunction with obtaining further information directly from the employee. A thorough and informative medical report makes handling absences much easier. Now, if possible, I would go for the occupational health referral rather than the GP report. The occupational health report is likely to be more objective. However, there's some key things you need to bear in mind to avoid receiving a report which is unhelpful or unclear. Firstly, the employer should remain involved in the process from the outset and throughout the process. Secondly, Consider what questions you want answered and make sure those specific tailored questions are included in the instructions to the medical professional. So, for example, you could consider sending a copy of the employee's job description and asking which, if any, of the duties listed that the employee is fit to carry out, rather than asking a more generic question. Now, in our experience, many employers miss this. The more specific your questions, the more valuable your report is likely to be. Thirdly, When dealing with occupational health, once you've prepared your questions, it's worth trying to have a call with the occupational health specialist in advance of the appointment. This will allow you to give some background to the case, which you may not always want to put in writing, as well as explain your particular concerns. Fourthly, do push back if you get incomplete or unsubstantiated answers. It is perfectly acceptable to ask further questions and seek clarification. Again, be as specific as possible when seeking clarification and ask tailored questions. Now finally, do you consider meeting with the employee to discuss the content of a medical report? This gives both parties an opportunity to discuss the content of the report and consider, for example, if any measures suggested in the report could be implemented in order to assist the employee back to work. Okay, what changes should an employer make to facilitate a return to work? 
Well, the first thing to bear in mind is that the obligation on an employer to make reasonable adjustments only applies to employees who are disabled for the purposes of the Equality Act. This will not be the case for all employees who are on sick leave. Now, establishing whether this is likely is often part of the purpose of obtaining medical reports. Even where an employee is not disabled, it is good practice and often better to err on the side of caution to consider what changes could be made in order to make a return to work smoother. So, for example, should you be looking at a phased return, changes to working patterns, for example, or changes to reporting lines? Secondly, what is reasonable will vary hugely depending on the individual employee and the particular employer. Now, the size and the resources of an employer are relevant, as are the particular condition and the effectiveness of the proposed change. Now, where a medical report makes suggestions about possible adjustments, employers should genuinely consider the suggested changes, making further investigations if necessary. It's advisable for an employer to keep a record of the considerations and what investigations they've made into whether the changes are possible. An employer should take the same approach if they think of any other possible alternatives. Thirdly, when adjustments are being made, employers should ensure that the new arrangements are monitored, that the lines of communication with the employee remain open to assess how the situation is progressing, and that the employee's line manager is involved in all discussions and in monitoring the arrangements. Employees often ask for sick pay to be extended beyond what is set out in their contract or handbook. An employee might even suggest that this would constitute a reasonable adjustment and the employer is obliged to do this under the Equality Act. What would your advice be on this? Well, I think it's always worth considering whether in a particular case it is appropriate to extend contractual sick pay. So I think that doesn't, there's no harm in doing that. However, it's now pretty well established from case law that the extension of sick pay is not an adjustment that an employer will be required to make unless the employee's condition has in some way been caused by the employer or the working conditions. Now, employers often fall down here by inadvertently continuing to pay sick pay or by choosing to do so for a particular employee. This can set a difficult precedent for future absences and employers need to be careful not to give rise to discrimination issues if their sick pay policy is not applied consistently. If an employer offers permanent health insurance or long-term sickness benefit to employees, does this limit their options in terms of absence management? Well, yes, to a certain extent. Employers need to be mindful of an employee's entitlements under a PHI scheme at all times. Now, if an employee is deprived of the opportunity to receive payments under a scheme, either because they are dismissed before they become eligible for cover or because they are dismissed while in receipt of payments and the dismissal means that those payments come to an end, then it could give rise to a breach of contract claim, forcing the employer to essentially self-insure the benefits, which can be extremely expensive. Now, the claim would be for damages for breach of contract for being wrongfully deprived of benefits under the PHI policy. Over the years, the courts have ruled there is an implied term in the employment contract not to terminate the employment as a means of removing the employee's entitlement to those benefits. This doesn't mean that the employers cannot dismiss the employees who have the right to PHI. It would be able to terminate for any fundamental or reputatory breach of contract which of course could include gross misconduct. It is common for employees to include a term in the employment contract which expressly allows them to terminate an employee's employment even if doing so deprives that employee of the PHI entitlement. Now the courts have indicated that this effectively overrides the implied term I just mentioned and we would definitely recommend including this in all contracts. It is not uncommon for employees who are off sick to raise a grievance either alleging that the employer has caused the illness or that the employer has behaved inappropriately in some way since the illness began. This is particularly likely where an employee thinks that dismissal is a likelihood. How would you suggest that employers deal with this situation? 
Well, obviously, where an employee raises a grievance, the employer must deal with it appropriately in accordance with its grievance policy or procedure. Now, ideally, in these circumstances, an employer should seek to keep the absence management process separate from the grievance process. The fact that an employee has raised a grievance doesn't mean you shouldn't follow your usual processes in terms of getting medical reports, stopping sick pay where appropriate and seeking further information. Now, if a grievance is raised after you've already commenced a dismissal process, it need not delay that process. Although in some circumstances, where the two are very clearly interlinked, it may be appropriate to adjourn that process for a short term. However, a postponement may just drag the whole thing out unnecessarily and it may be better to run the dismissal and the grievance process concurrently, ensuring at all times that it's clear that any dismissal is not triggered by the grievance. Okay, finally, is it ever possible to fairly dismiss an employee who is on sick leave? The short answer to this question is yes. However, there are a few key things to bear in mind. Number one, make sure you've carried out a thorough investigation and have all the facts available to you. You should know what the illness is, what the prognosis is and what the likely length of the absence is. I would also make sure you get an up-to-date medical report to ensure that prior to dismissal you have an assessment that you can rely on and which may then well indicate that the employee is unlikely to return to work in the foreseeable future. Number two, if the employee is or may be disabled for the purpose of the Quality Act, make sure you've carefully considered whether there are any reasonable adjustments which would facilitate their return to work. Document your considerations and your reasons for not going ahead with any adjustments which have been suggested so that you're in a position to defend your decisions. Number three, consider all the alternatives to dismissal. So for example, look at redeployment into another role. And I would also then document those considerations. Number four, think carefully about the reasons for considering dismissal. I would focus as much as possible on the impact on the business of the continued absence and the cost of having to provide cover. Number five, and finally, if you do ultimately think that dismissal may be appropriate, follow a proper procedure, giving the employee the opportunity to present their own case and giving a right of appeal. Thanks, Parvis, and thank you for listening. Remember that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud or on the Stevenson Harwood website.